Welcome to C-Suite Radio. Holy heartbeat! Welcome to another episode of the Open Mic Podcast. Excellent! With your host, Brad Allen. Well, isn't that extra special? Recorded live at Bay Area Studios. Join Brett each week as he interviews celebrities, influencers, authors, high-level entrepreneurs, and much more. At the open mic, no topic is off limits. Giddy up. And you never know who may stop by. Now, here's your host, Brett Allen. What's up, everybody? Welcome into another episode of the Open Mic Podcast. It's your host, Brett Allen. This is the Pop Culture Podcast coming at you live. From the Bay Area studios, head over to the openmicpodcast.show. Check out all of the latest episodes and all of that fun stuff. On the podcast, we have a very special guest, comedian Alonzo Bowden. You know him from Last Comic Standing, the OG. Also, NPR's Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, and a myriad and a million other projects. This is an exclusive interview. He has a fantastic live Zoom show happening this Friday. We're going to give you all the deets in the interview Alonzo, my friend, welcome into the podcast. It's great to have you here today. Thank you, Brett. I know we were trying to do this before and you were not doing too well. So I hope you're feeling good, man. I am. Yeah, I got COVID, ironically enough, as as safe as I was keeping myself and not doing anything. I'm here in the Bay Area, didn't leave my house, stayed home. And then all of a sudden I can't taste, I can't smell. And I had it for about three weeks. Worst experience of my life, but thank goodness uh, I'm doing okay. Thanks for mentioning that. Yeah, it was a crazy, crazy experience for sure. No doubt. I'm glad you're okay. Um, I just got tested. When did I get this? Friday. So I'm negative. So it's been good. It It is very random. You know, you talk about staying safe. I mean, I was on a plane, you know, and in another city in Arlington and DC area. And I was fine. And which is surprising because, you know, no one in the White House is wearing masks and they're breathing. So uh, I survived that. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm I'm glad you're okay, man. This this is this is very real. So I'm glad you're okay. Yeah, I'm doing fantastic. Well, let's just jump right in here. You have a show coming up, a Zoom show. And I kind of want to caveat on that a little bit more once we cover the project that you've got coming up. It's your late night show tonight with Alonzo Bowden. And this will be on Friday, December 18th, 2020, 7 p.m. Pacific, 10 p.m. Eastern. And it's in this new environment called Nowhere Comedy Club. It's uh, something new and different. And you have some amazing guests. I'll let you share uh, what that event is and, and who your special guests will be and, and what people can expect. Yeah, so this show... This is really fun because they came to me, the producers of this show came to me and they said, we do a late night talk show once a month and every month we have a different host and we want you to host it. And I had no idea what it was or or what. And they, I said, yeah, this will be fun. So uh, it's done. It's a late night show. It's interviews, it's sketches, it's monologue. I got two fantastic guests, two friends of mine, George Wallace, uh, if you know anything about comedy, the, the legendary George Wallace, who has just released a book of his tweets. And if wow. you follow George on Twitter, George is consistently voted in the top five funniest people on Twitter. I don't know who the other four are. George is the funniest person <laughs> on Twitter. You know, Brett, you've read his tweets and so forth and whatnot. And... <laughs> So it's going to be really fun to talk to George. And Robert Glasper is a name that I wish more people knew. So Robert 
he's a brilliant jazz musician, right? Brilliant jazz pianist, Grammy Award winner, who has also expanded into R&B and hip hop and just keeps winning Grammys. Uh, went to R&B and won best record there. Won a Grammy with Common uh, doing music for, for a TV show, for a documentary. Uh, no, that was an Emmy. I'm sorry, that was an Emmy. But, but Glasper, besides being hilarious and very cool, is very creative across all genres. So I think it's going to be fun to talk to him, especially the segment we like to call Jazz or Fan Belt. That will be, uh, that'll be fun. So I'm looking forward to doing it. And you know, the Nowhere, the Nowhere platform, I've done two of my own shows there um, for, the, for, for the next few months. I, I mean, we're still going to be doing this, right? We're going to be Zoom-based and virtual and streaming. And they do a great job as far as allowing everybody to unmute themselves. You hear the laughter, you get the communal experience of being in a comedy club, but they monitor it so that nobody ruins the show with a dog barking or a baby crying or, you know, drunk heckling or whatever it might be. Although <laughs> if you're drunk heckling a Zoom comedy show, you need help. You need help. You, 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 you need do need friend. help. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on. If that's what you have resulted to, I've seen you perform here in the Bay Area at Tommy T's Comedy Club, a, a legendary place, several times. And I've seen you your crowd work that's one of the things i think of many that impresses me the most and i'm not just saying that but it's true because you you would not remember this but the night that i saw you it was a friday night it was a late show this super super young comic comes up and performs he does a barack obama impression you come out and you say something hilarious to the fact of this is the future i have to worry about high school kids stealing my job doing Barack Obama <laughs> impressions. And then there was another, this is just a, a an indulgement for me at this point right now. That was, there was a car dealership and this guy was giving you a hard time about what kind of car he drive. I don't know. And you handled this guy really well. So it kind of brings me to a point of when you do these Zoom shows and you've done a couple, what have your experiences been like uh, as far as like audience response and just sort of getting that engagement, which is important, I think, for any kind of stand-up comedy. Well, thank you. Thank you, first of all. And one of the things that I think is somewhat unique about comedy, I guess it happens some in music, but more in comedy, the people opening for you are trying to take your job. <laughs> you know I mean? That's, that's why they're, they're, they're like, yeah, I'm going to be the headliner one day. You know, I remember when I was opening, wanting to be the closer. Uh, so it's always fun when I can have fun with with openers and, and middle acts and crowd work is just something I do, man. I've learned to stay in the moment. And, you you know, the trick to that is listening. You have to listen to what they say and use it against them. That that's what it is like verbal judo. Right. They attack you. You turn their attack around and and hit them back with it. So. In the Zoom environment, again, the, the hecklers you don't really have to worry about. Where I have fun in the Zoom, I keep the chat open okay. and I respond to people in the chat because sometimes they're chatting with each other. Sometimes they're sending a message to me, but but that's the same thing. When you, re I think when I respond to the chat, it becomes much more interactive and the people get into it. Yeah, yeah. I've gone to a couple Zoom shows, I guess you could call them. Uh, Greg Proops did one. I actually had him on and he did a Zoom show. 
I think it was the same uh, Nowhere Comedy Club. Mm-hmm. There's just a lot of people doing it. Sarah Silverman, I think, did it recently. It's kind of catching on. I wasn't sure what to expect, but honestly, it's kind of fun. You know, comedy clubs, a lot of them are closed. And even just talking to different people, it seems like, you know, it's either hit or miss as far as performing live these days. It's it's really great or it's just not that exciting because the club is already a third full instead of being completely packed out. I want to ask you as far as the future of comedy goes and this sort of thing, just from your perspective, someone who's been doing this for a very long time, do you feel like that zoom is, we kind of alluded to it, but going to be the future of comedy or are we still going to be able to pack out clubs and, and hopefully get that club experience of seeing someone live like yourself? No, no, we'll be back. We'll be back when they open again. You know, it, no one's ever put it the way you just put it, but this is what made me think of that every other time they said comedy was going to go away. Right. So I started in the early nineties. I just missed the boom of the eighties, but in one of the things they had in the eighties was a bunch of televised comedy, right? They had evening at the improv and they had comic strip live and they had a few other, and they were like, wait, if people can watch it on TV, they're not going to go see it live. But of course, people went to see it live. And now we have uh, the streaming shows, right? We talk about like Nowhere Comedy and stuff. You have Netflix. But there's nothing like live comedy. There's an energy to it. And it's very difficult to capture the energy of a live show on screen. Once in a while, things come together right with the with the cameras and it's the right show and the sound and and it really connects you the way you would at a live show but nothing's like coming to a live show also the audiences miss it you know i've done those other shows right the outdoor shows that we're allowed okay. to do uh rooftop parking lot beach drive in people come out because people miss it there's an energy to being live and in the moment that uh the audiences the fans miss and they i love them for doing it but they come out and support it and everybody right now is like okay we're gonna do whatever but but you know it's gonna take some time but when the world opens back up people will come out and i think they may even be anxious anxious to come out because remember everyone's in the house watching you know we, I was talking to someone the other day, like no one's going to the movies. Like mm-hmm. we can't go to the movies, you know, things like that. So yeah, it's, uh, they'll be back. There'll be no, no question in my mind. The, the toughest thing now is for the comedy clubs to survive while making no, no income, right? I mean, they got to pay the rent on the space they're in. So that's going to be the toughest thing. And like everybody else in the service industry, the servers, the bartenders, mm-hmm. the dishwashers, the, the the people, the backbone who run the club and work and clubs are doing a lot to help them, but that's, that's who it's going to be. You know, we got to get them through this also so we can get started again. Yeah. I think that's important. And out of all the comics that I've talked to, I think you've brought it to light the most honest way in the fact of, you know, comedy clubs make a lot of their money from alcohol sales, food sales, uh, meet and greets and that sort of thing. And if you're a comic, you come to the Bay Area, you're doing eight shows, pick a club because there's tons of them. You know, there's a lot that drives that whole process. I love live comedy. I, I, it's probably out of everybody I talk to, comedians, I think are my favorite to talk to because I feel like you guys do something so different than what a lot of other people do, like actors, 
musicians, you know, you pick, but you have chosen or it chose you probably this art form of standing up in front of people and telling jokes, points of view, whatever, for any allotted amount of time and you make people laugh. To me, I find that so interesting. I want to wind the clock back a little bit because I first became familiar with you on a show called Last Comic Standing, which was long before, you know, America's Got Talent and all these other shows. And I have questions about that. Looking back on your time with Last Comic Standing to comics who are coming up now, do you feel like, because you had been doing comedy for a while before that show, right? Mm -hmm. And then that sort of thrusted you into the public eye a little bit more shows like i don't know america's got talent whatever the comics that go on there and perform do you think that they miss out on some of the hustle that is required before getting thrust into a public platform like that or do you think if you're funny you're funny regardless of how you're discovered if that makes any sense listen everyone who is quote discovered it happens a different way i mean for me last comic was the right show at the right time. You know, speaking of George Wallace, right? George told me one time early in my career, he said, look, everybody gets their shot. The trick is to be ready when your shot comes. So last comic was my shot and I was ready when that shot came. Um, I'd been doing comedy for 10 years and, and you know, I hate to, to pull back the curtain for, for your audience, but all of us who you see on TV have been doing it for a while. Okay. You don't see anyone on last comic or America's got talent or whatever. That's been doing comedy for three months. They want you to believe that. Oh, sure. You got, you got to work. You got to be ready. So it was great to do last comic without a doubt. My introduction to America to be doing stand up in prime time. And it worked out for that year for months was just an awesome experience. And the, the only thing we joke about, we being the uh, people on the show with me, Heffron and Tammy Pescatelli, Gary Goldman, all of us, we're still friends. And we, we joke about, yeah, we got a ton of MySpace friends. Like we did it before modern social media. We did it before Facebook, before Twitter. So that was a difference with the early last comic winners versus the later last comic winners. But the later show wasn't as popular on TV. Now, with America Got Talent, and I know some people who've done well on there, you know, Preach Lawson and, and Jackie Fabulous, friends of mine. It's tough for them because they're going against all kind of stuff, right? So with Last Comic Standing, everybody on the show is a stand-up. When you do AGT, you're following nine dancers, some somebody on a unicycle, some trained dogs, and some guy who's throwing fire. You know, so that's when stand-up is tougher because you're not the big visual explosion. Mm-hmm. You know, you're a person standing there talking and you and you have to capture their attention and and make it interesting and funny. But but to us, like what I love what you said about stand-up chose me. I couldn't imagine doing anything else, and I couldn't imagine doing it any other way. I, I love the jazz world. I work with jazz musicians a lot, hosting and doing other things. And there was, man, it's just you. Like, if I have an off night, I just tell the drummer to take some or whatever. You know what I mean? But for uh, for a stand-up, yeah, just give me a microphone and get out the way. Yeah, yeah. I think that's what delineates comedy from a lot of other things. If you have a bad night, like, you have a bad night. Like, it's either you're going to bomb and you recover well 
And I think, but that makes you stronger as a comic, I would say, is those experiences. And I do also, to your point of pulling back the cordon, it is funny because I have talked to other people who have been on those shows and there's a lot of input that producers have as far as like bits that they want you to do or pieces and Bone Hampton, I don't know if you're familiar with him. He was on AGT and he attributes a lot of his loss to the fact that, you know, he had to follow some magician that was like this sacred Rihanna person. And it was so weird. And she comes out and does this thing. And now he has to come out and tell jokes about, you know, Brad Pitt or whatever the case might be. It's like trying to win that audience back and that sort of thing. You mentioned earlier about, you know, coming up in the 90s and and kind of missing the comedy boom. Is there a part of you that goes, if I had done that, things might have been different for me? Or do you kind of feel like everything happened the way it was supposed to for you and, and you attribute your success just to being, you know, in the right place at the right time and sort of taking the necessary steps to get there? Man, I'll tell you what reminds me of it. Everybody who was around in the 80s that I know who's like, man, you good. If you were around in the 80s, you'd have been rich. <laughs> that, that's what that's what reminds, tells me how. But who knows? You know, it's one of those things, right? It's like, yeah, if I had started in 83 instead of 93, maybe I'd have been a rich comedy superstar or maybe I'd have OD'd on cocaine behind the club. <laughs> Remember, we yeah. we are talking about the 80s, right? So who knows? Uh, that's the kind of thing you can mentally screw yourself trying to get into something like that. So I love when I came in, me and Hef, Hefron and I, we've, we've kind of paralleled in careers and we joke about it that we timed it perfectly to end up in the middle. We missed the comedy boom of the 80s and we're too old for the social media boom of the 2000s. <laughs> you know? So it, you can, that kind of thing, man, it, you can get into it. And like I say, it's, it's, you would screw yourself mentally. Um, I've been very fortunate in my success. I, I, I make a living telling jokes, bottom line. And so I can't ever complain about it. Um, I call this the lottery business we're in. You get one show, one break, suddenly you're a multimillionaire. I know people who that's happened to other people. They grind their whole careers and they, you know, it takes them 15 years before they can quit their day job. So uh, we do it because we love it. I do it because I love it. The the money and all of that, the, the quote, success is a bonus. Um, I love the, when you talk about success, to me, the, the respect of other comics, the okay. fact that I've, I've worked with any and everyone in the business. I've been on stages literally all around the world had fun, loved it, made them laugh, or bombed and came back and made them laugh the next time. Those, those are the kind of things, man. That, that's the love I think you have to have. Uh, the, the measurable success, the money, the cars, you know, would I want Russell Peters, uh, Rolls Royce and Lamborghini? Of course, I've actually asked him for them and he said <laughs> no. Uh, but, um, <laughs> you know, that that's part of it, but that's not what drives you. And, and what your friend said about AGT, I'll tell you a big difference with Last Comic. They never told us what to say. As a matter of fact, we, we had a meeting with the censor for NBC, like the head guy. And he said, listen, we're going to give you guys a big latitude. You're going to be allowed to say things we wouldn't allow on any other show because you're stand-ups. Uh, they said, keep it clean. This is why they want you to keep it clean. Because if you don't keep it clean, then your set sounds like, hey, beep, 
I was going to the beep and then I beep and then, and you're you're going to bomb. It's not going to be funny. The funniest thing was, you know who they worry about? Advertisers, products, brands. Sure. That's what they don't want you to talk about. I had a joke about black people in Cadillacs and they were like, can you not say Cadillac? And it's like, well, no, you know, it's not funny. They're like, yeah, we'd rather you did, you know, that they care more about you saying Cadillac than dropping an F-bomb. <laughs> That's funny. I mean, I could see that kind of being the situation where, you know, it's like, can you not say this? And I did find that, I think it was probably four or five years ago is when we got the last season of Last Comic Standing and uh, I mean, tons of people have come from that Gabriel Iglesias who got kicked off the show for having a cell phone on the Queen Mary. And now he's one of the biggest stars, you know, but I like your answer about how you define success. That was going to be another question, but you pretty much answered it. So it's safe to say for you, success would be necessarily the approval of your peers, right? People saying that you're doing a great job and you're funny, like people that you might work with who, who, or who observe your work, right? Man, let me tell you, I will never forget uh, being in front of the Hollywood improv. I'm doing comedy at this point about five or six years. And I'm talking with Dave Chappelle and Damon Wayans. And we're talking about comedy and, and road gigs. And I don't know if you ever had that out of body experience or sure. moment. You know, it's like I'm literally like I'm looking up here saying, what the hell are you doing talking to Damon Wayans and Dave Chappelle? You know what I mean? But but we're talking as comics. That was yeah, that that's the big thing, man. When I did New Faces in Montreal, uh, I did it back in 97. When I came home, I felt like a comic because I was there. And then now I'm talking to Dom Herrera and and uh, Rogan was a was a friend I met back then and and Dennis Leary and uh, Chris Titus and Earthquake and all and like because now we're talking as comics right I'm not the open micer anymore I'm not the new guy now we're comics that is a huge feeling so I've always felt good about that and and then now I'm one of the old guys that's what's funny to me now also so now. Young comics come to me with the same questions that I remember asking, you know, George Wallace or, or George Lopez back in 94, 95. So, so that's a very cool thing to be on the other side of it. Yeah, I find that so interesting uh, because it seems like there's a hierarchy or a badge of honor system that I've been told by different folks like, you know, you get to the open mic spot, you get that consistently, and then you become a host, and then you're an opener, and then a middle, and then a feature, and then eventually you get to the place where you're at as a headliner. When you see these young comics coming up, and they ask you questions, I don't know how else to say this. Have you seen that cartoon where the dog is there, and then there's a little dog, and the puppy's jumping back and forth? Hey, George. Hey, George. Mm -hmm. Do you have those experiences not to call anybody out or what, I mean, what, if a young comic comes to you and ask you for advice and it's like they're one shot to talk to Alonzo, right? This is the one opportunity. Do you ever go, is that the kind of question that you want to ask or do you just answer and <laughs> give them the advice that they should be getting instead of what they might be asking? <laughs> um, usually I give them, you know, the advice I was given and the same stuff stage time. I tell them to write, 
the, the, the thing I tell comics now that I wish I had known or, and I'm sure someone told me, I just didn't hear it. Marketing is a big part of the job okay. and it's a bigger part of the job now. And again, see, I was in the transition era, right? In the eighties, comics would just go on, you'd go on morning radio, Thursday, Friday, and sell out the weekend, you know? Right. And then in the nineties, that kind of, as terrestrial radio went away and stuff, that kind of changed. And now they want more of social media. So I talked to them more about marketing. The ones who want to get good ask the right questions because they ask about comedy. The ones who are, are bullshitting it, they're going to ask you about some nonsense. And you, and you know, you know who's serious. I, I was in this summer, I was in St. Louis and the, the other two comics, it was, I felt like I was being studied. But they were so cool because they had real questions about comedy, like they wanted to become good comics and they were just asking stuff. And I'm happy to help anyone like that because somebody helped me. Yeah, I think it's always good. You know, if you've gone up in the elevator, it's always good to come back down on the elevator and help those come to the top who are are taking it seriously and not bullshitters. And I think you listen, Brett, a pretty good. Game. I never know. I never know when one of them kids is going to get a sitcom. And they need the old guy down the block or the barber in the barbershop. Brett, I might get a job. I don't. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's true. And it was social media <laughs> so prevalent these days. You know, they count on followers. You know, I know whenever a comic comes to town now, you see them on, like Heffernan, for example, was here not too long. Well, probably a while ago. And he was talking about his book, The Holding Deal. And he's like, I'm going to be at this club and come check me out. Hit me up on social media. So, you know, they put the billboard up and, you know, that's flashing in, say, downtown San Jose. But then you are, it's incumbent upon you, it seems, to hustle, I guess. And, you know, we're doing this because it's a little bit further ahead. But getting on social media and saying, hey, you know, come check out my show, yada, yada. And then the club is kind of dependent upon you to make ticket sales i'm guessing right and that's got to be stressful i would imagine to have to not just think about yourself but managing all of that when people come see you they know what to expect right they've done their research they know what kind of show you are going to put on at what point i hear this conversation about you know finding your voice in comedy and i want to explore this a little bit you have obviously found your voice you have your style and approach to joke telling how long did it take you to get to that place where you kind of had your own vibe as far as like when you got on stage this is how your set was going to flow and how you were going to deliver jokes and punchlines ah that's a great question because it's changed um so and it was kind of a before and after last comic. So going into last comic, I think I was more into, I'm going to be funny. And I'm going to talk about, I talk more about my personal life, relationships, uh, things like that. When I did last comic, I really realized, for one thing, I did a lot of new material on the show. And I enjoy doing new material on the show, right? But I, I realized I find the world funnier than I do me. That was the change. And that's when I started talking more about social issues and the news and, and some public figures and stuff. But I, I started doing that more. And that really turned out to be my niche. Like, I love doing that. And I'm, um, they tell me I'm good at it, you know, uh, topical comedy, even my specials and CDs. You know, people are like, 
it's topical, but it's still funny because when you talk about something that was big, people remember it when they start talking about it, you know. And then the other thing is, especially when you talk about public figures, they have a habit of staying in trouble. You know, I rode Daryl Strawberry all through the 90s. I'm not going <laughs> to lie to you. Every, every two years, Daryl made it relevant again, you know. Um, <laughs> so I would say that, you know, and that's something with new comics. They're like, how do you find your voice? And And I've always said, unless you're a natural character, uh, a Harlan Williams, for example. Harlan is just Harlan. He, you don't learn that. He just is who he is. You know, mm-hmm. he's a natural character. Uh, Tosh, Daniel Tosh, natural character. Tosh is just Tosh, right? But for a lot, but for a lot of us, you do have to work, and it takes some time to figure out what you have to say and how to say it. You know, so, and. And don't worry about that. I mean, when I started, uh, Thea Vidal told me, she said, listen, when you go to college, you go to school for four years and then you get a job. She said, so the first four years of your career, you're going to school. You're going to school for four years. Any money you make is great, but you, you, you're not making money yet. You're just learning. And, and on the backside of that, you find out it's true. So it's one of the things I tell new comics, try everything. Because you don't know yet what you do. So try everything. Don't don't not do something. You know, I mean, now we have that. I love that. This is my brand. Like you don't know what your brand is yet. So just just do everything. Are you a write it down type of guy and perform it and test it out? Or are you uh, just an idea? Or do you just go upstage on stage and improvise? I mean, I know some people kind of do a mixture what is your style? It's a mix. Uh, usually it starts out with me writing down an idea. I used to have notebooks all the time. I shifted over to using the notes app on my iPhone because I always have it with me and it's easier to categorize stuff. Uh, I write down ideas. I go on stage. I talk about the idea. Sometimes it grows that way. Sometimes just writing it other ideas will come right bang, 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 bang. So I have an idea and I write the idea. And then next thing I know, I've written five jokes about that idea. And that's great. Uh, So I would say it's the hybrid between that, between writing ideas and working them out on stage. And, And the shorthand comes from doing it for a long time. So my brain is kind of trained to get from the the idea to the joke with fewer steps in between, just because I've been doing it. One thing I will say, and it's true to this day, physically writing it out imprints it on the memory better than tapping it into a screen. When you were starting out, were you a comedy store hangout type of comic where you would go and perform? You weren't. So you just kind of went to wherever you could get stage time and perform. Tommy Davidson, who I opened for for a few months early in my career. Great and guy. I'm talking early, my maybe my second year in comedy. The funny thing with Tommy is Tommy still thinks I'm a new comic starting out. Because he, because <laughs> that's what I was when I met him. That's. Funny. But anyway, oh, it's hilarious. But Tommy told me something. It was a great piece of advice. It was absolutely true. He said, "Listen, man, don't waste your time hanging around the improv at a comedy store." He said, "You're going to get better going to a hole in the wall, going to the back of a bar, going to East LA or or wherever you got to go, and doing 15 minutes on stage than you'll ever get watching me do 15 minutes at the improv." 
he, it was like, you get, go find stage time. And, and that was great advice. So I didn't hang out as maybe I should have hung out more. I mean, there is something to be said for networking and I've watched that work for people. Um, I've always been more of a solo guy, which, you know, is that right or wrong? I don't know. It is what it is, but stage time is more important than hanging out at the comedy store and, you know, meeting, meeting, you know, Bill Burr or, or back when I was starting meeting Dice or, sure. uh, you know, Bob Saget or whatever, you know, no knock against that. I no. mean, it's what people do, but yeah. Yeah. Tommy was on the show a few months ago when we were still in pretty heavy lockdown and he talked about that a lot as well, performing at strip clubs, Chinese restaurants, wherever he could get on stage to work anywhere. On his material. Yeah. I think that's so cool. Well, one last topic as we wrap up here, I want to talk about something really cool one day I turn on NPR and Alonzo is on <laughs> Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me as a contestant. That is like one of the coolest shows ever. How did that come about for you? And how was that? How is that fun for you? It just seems like the wildest roller coaster ride in the park. I love Wait, Wait. I love doing Wait, Wait. For your listeners of your podcast who don't know, it's a news quiz show on NPR. Uh, the, the emphasis is much more on the jokes than on the quiz. So, and I, I was with an agency, the agent got the, and I didn't know about this, but he had talked to wait, wait. And I guess they saw me do a show in Chicago and okay. they said, this guy'd be great. So they brought me in for the first show. Now here's the thing. <laughs> I had never heard of wait, wait, don't tell me. I'd never listened to wait, wait, don't tell me. I, all I knew was that it was some kind of comedy panel show, right? Which I'm I'm very good at panels because I like working in the moment and stuff like that. I figured it, you know, it was just like, oh, they just want funny answers to these questions. And and I did it. And and at the end, and I don't know if he was stroking me or if he meant it or whatever, but Peter came over, he said, that's the best first timer we've ever had. And but to me, the reason it was good is because I didn't know what I was doing. So I didn't have time to get nervous. I didn't have time to think about it. I was just like, oh, I just got to be funny when they ask me a question. And and I don't even remember the other panelists I was on with, but I do remember early on finding out that Tom Bodette was a writer. I didn't know Tom Bodette did anything other than, you know, Motel 6 commercials <laughs> and, um, and Paula Poundstone. And it was, and Paula is great, but you know, when you put two comics together, they and they they just hit it off. It's funnier. It's even funnier. You know what I mean? So I love doing Wait, Wait. Uh, the Wait, Wait fans, NPR fans, very interesting. Takes them a while to warm up to you. The first year you're doing the show, they're like, meh. Mm, yeah. <laughs> but once they like you, they love you and they stay with you through the whole thing. So, yeah, Wait, Wait has been uh, it's been a great run. It's it's part of my career. I love doing it. Uh, every show I do, there'll be at least one question where I have no idea what they're talking about. And that makes it even more fun, you know. Uh, but yeah, I got nothing but good to say about Wait, Wait. Yeah, that's a fun show. And again, we'll put a link to that in some of your episodes in our show notes. Again, we want to make sure people know about this Friday, December 18th. This episode of the podcast will air long before that. 7 p.m. Pacific, 10 p.m. Eastern. Tickets are available through Eventbrite. It's your late night show tonight with Alonzo Bowden and his special guest, George Wallace and Robert Glasper. 
Uh, this is at the Nowhere Comedy Club. It's a lot of fun. Alonzo, if people want to connect with you on social media, how can they do so? Everything is at Alonzo Bowden, A-L-O-N-Z-O-B-O-D-D-E-N, except Instagram. My Instagram is ZoFunny, Z-O-F-U-N-N-Y, because someone thought they were going to take my name and I was going to give them a million dollars for my Instagram name. It was like, now nah, just use another name. Funny, so. <laughs> I was going to ask you about that off the air, but thanks for mentioning that. I was wondering, I was like, why is it, I like, is it Zoe, like Alonzo, but. Yeah, that's what it comes from. You know, it's kind of a play on words, Zoe funny, but yeah, that's what it is. And, and that's what happened, you know, and it's, if any of you, if you or anyone else has dealt with it, it's really hard to prove who you are to people who run the online platforms, oh, yeah. right? Because you can never talk to somebody at Instagram. They're like, nope. send this, send this, send And I had to send my ID and this and that and the other. And I still don't know. I still don't think I've been verified on Instagram. I don't even know. It's, uh, it's a big pain in the ass. But it, again, this is the work we do now, right? This is part of, this is one of my problems today is verifying who I am on Instagram. <laughs> you know, it's, it's uh, yeah, it's a different world, man. Different world. First world problems. Well, Alonzo Bowden, thank you for joining me on the podcast today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, sir. I'm glad you're healthy again. People out there, wear your masks. We got to get back to work, man. So do do what you do. Do what you got to do to stay safe. Let's get healthy and open the world back up. That brings today's episode to an end. Thanks for choosing to stop by and listen. If you enjoyed the show, consider sharing it with a friend and hitting the subscribe button. It's absolutely free. The views and opinions of our guests do not necessarily reflect those of the host. Is it all over, Rock? I guess so. Until next time, cheers.